0: Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset, change, and success. Look, Motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good. But that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life. And that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going or produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you will finally live a whole life. You'll be much happier. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformation so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode, which you can utilize to create change in your life. Failure is about learning how to embrace the challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. Do you want to elevate your perspective with failure so you can change your mindset to accept failure as positive experiences rather than negative expectations? When you fail, it's not the end. the ultimate beginning. At my company, Failure is Not the Problem LLC, our philosophy is this. Failure fuels, innovates, builds resilience, and growth. Learn how to embrace your setbacks as stepping stones to success. Learn, adapt, and triumph with wisdom of failure by your side. Join us in rewriting the story of success, where failure is the launchpad for greatness. How can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? Well, you need to laugh and learn when you fail. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step of your journey. Most of us know what fun is, but what is failure-tastic? What is a failure-tastic moment? Well, I created that word and had it trademarked. A failure-tastic moment is when you have tried to accomplish a goal or tried to become successful while pursuing an endeavor, but you faced failure after failure after failure. Like when I was trying to get a college degree, It literally took me several years to actually get a degree. Look, I failed out of six colleges and or universities. And what was it? 14 years later, I finally achieved that particular goal. But not only did I achieve that goal, I accomplished multiple degrees. So instead of quitting, I never gave up. And because I did not give up, I accomplished that goal and more because of the lessons I learned along the way. Accomplishing such a goal or dream, some would say, oh, man, that's fantastic, right? No, that would be a failure-tastic moment. Hey everyone, I am George A. Milton, your host, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing person who is changing the planet within her chosen profession. Hello, Linda, how are you doing? It's good to be with you today.
1: Hello, George. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to see you and it's great to hear about what you're doing because I love this topic very much.
0: Oh, fantastic, man. That's just going to be great. Well, I I used fantastic, didn't I? No, that's failure-tastic, right? (laughs) I, just, I violated one of my rules here already. Hey, look, here! won't you tell the audience a, a bit about your background and what you do to impact the planet? Right?
1: Sure. I'm happy to be here. I'm Linda Valero again, and I'm a voice coach, voice teacher. I'm an associate professor at Berklee College of Music in Boston. I'm also a private coach, so I have an independent studio where I work with artists of all ages, from nationally touring artists to future triple threat kids and high school students in the area and all over the country and the world via Zoom and other digital ways of communicating voice lessons. I'm also an author, so I wrote a book about singing because I've been doing it since I was eight years old. And this is called Being a Singer, the Art, Craft and Science, available anywhere books are sold online and in bookstores. And this book is sort of a tome to let people know about all of the factors that go into actually singing and using our voice so it's not just a technical training guide, but it's also some philosophy, some history, a little bit of science and how we work and how people work. I also write other books. I'm an author and a couple of other things, and I'm working on a new book right now. So I try to keep my hand in the world with real people, not just in the ivory tower of an institution like Berkeley. And by doing so, it keeps me fresh and it keeps me finding new ways of working with people, new ways of helping people and my own personal growth.
0: Wow, that is amazing. (laughs) Well, look, Linda's been a little bashful here, guys. Let me share just a little bit more of background here. Look, this is a highly, highly qualified, educated musical person here. So just for giggles here, look here, here's a little bit more about her and her career highlights. So she has actually been nominated for a Grammy as a Music Educator of the Year, and is highly regarded at the Berklee School as she mentioned a moment ago. But her clients, right, they include nationally touring musicians and vocal artists and young opera singers. And children and teens, so all ages of the spectrum, sir. Look, she's a graduate of the New England Conservatory of Music and Vocal Performances. She performed as a classical singer and studied for 10 years with Seth Riggs. Now, check it out. Seth, who also worked with Prince, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Madonna, and one of my all-time favorites, Barbara Streisand. So, yeah, she's been a little bit modest here. She also is an instrumentalist, which includes, what, you know, voice and piano. You know, over what was it, the, the past ten years, you know, she's performed as a classical singer in Europe. Now I lived in Europe for a number of years, almost ten years of my life have actually been spent in Europe. And one of the things that I liked while visiting Vienna was this, is that she has actually had appearances at the Wiener Festival, team, which is a cultural festival in Vienna which takes place every year. So she is extremely qualified to be able to teach and do the kind of things that she's talking about today here. So Linda, look, for sure, there had to be multiple failures along the way as you were pursuing these goals and dreams. Now, how did you use your failures to become the professional you are today?
1: Well, one of my favorite quotes I learned early on in my life was by Winston Churchill. And there is a great story that he was invited to be the commencement speaker at uh, University of Oxford in England, I believe. I think I have that right. And he went to the commencement and he was old at that point. This was long after World War II and he was retired. Took him a little while to get up the stairs to the podium. He had a cane and he walked very slowly and he went up to the podium and he took off his hat, took off his coat and he put down his cane and he leaned into the microphone and he said, never give up. And the college graduates screamed, everybody in the audience, hundreds of people just roaring for Winston Churchill. And it took a few minutes for the volume to die down. And when everyone became quiet again, he leaned in and he said, never give up. And again, the crowd roared and it took a few minutes for everything to quiet down. And then he leaned into the microphone again and he said, never give up. And he picked up his coat and hat and his cane and he slowly exited the stage. And that was his entire commencement address. You know what he was talking about, I think. No one thought that he would have been able to achieve what he achieved during World War II. He just was not willing to give up. And that's why we have the world we have today, because he would not give up. And that is a lesson for me, and I carried that through my whole life. There's one other piece of advice that I got early on from actually a business person, although I didn't have anything to do with business at that time. And he said, there are no failures, only unexpected results. When something doesn't go my way... I just look at it as like, okay, where do I go? Where's my pivot? What do I go next? How do I take this and move on? And as you said, you learn the most from failing at something because it's the only way, just even as a baby, when we're learning to walk, how do we learn to walk? By falling down. It's the only way, right? The baby stands up, baby falls down. Baby stands up, baby falls down. That's the only way. So that's how I've approached it.
0: Oh, outstanding. Yeah, look, Oxford, I used to, when I was living in Germany, I used to take a team of 12 people out of 60,000 folks at European Command, right? And what I would do is we would take those folks to Oxford University with one of our teams to teach them how to actually partner. So very familiar with that particular location. And Winston Churchill, absolutely without question, one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century man. And you are correct. We are living in the world today because of His brilliance and a lot of the kinds of things in which he has done. And anybody that knows anything about the military, we talk about all of the successes by which that particular war brought about. But there were tons and tons and tons and tons of doubt. There's tons of failure along the way. But the one thing that they did is that they did not give up. And because they did not give up, they were successful in it, right? Well said. I love that story. That's the first time I've heard that. I love that. Hey, can you share a specific instance where you faced a significant setback for failure and how you initially reacted to it? See, a lot of people, when they have a failure, oftentimes they'll give up, they'll quit, they'll assume that they're not worthy. You know what I mean? With me, what I did is that tons and tons of failure along the way throughout my life, but there was a point in which I was introduced to someone who changed the way in which I think about failure today, right? Because of what he has said to me and he look here, son. You know, it's not about the failure, it's how you respond to the failures and those kind of things. So did you share a specific setback that you may have had and how that actually impacted you?
1: So I lived in Europe about 13, 14 years where I auditioned and studied and did all kinds of things. And then I came back to the States to teach because I was reaching a point in my life where I didn't feel like I was moving forward and growing enough. So anyways, when I was in Europe and I was trying to audition and do programs that would move my career forward and give me more opportunities to perform. A conductor said to me, I had a disappointment where I didn't get an audition, which happens quite a lot for anybody who's an auditioner, any performer. No, no, no is very common. And it's just that you go next one, next one, next one until you get a yes. And he said to me, this life is about disappointment. So no matter who you are, a great performer like Madonna or a great artist like opera singer Renee Fleming, or a great successful business person, you have had many disappointments along the way. And everybody faces them and you just cannot see them in the people that are very successful and putting their face out in the public. So the job for us in order to grow and feel like we are flourishing in the world and doing things that make us enjoy life and be quote unquote happy, is how we respond to that disappointment. So we cannot control disappointment, we cannot control things that are not going to work out for us, but we can control how we respond to them. And just like what you described, that was a key for me to to not just like use willpower to push through and just, okay, that didn't work out, I'm going ahead, the next one. Willpower is great. Discipline is great. But you need also this mindset mindset that, oh yeah, this is part of life and now I'm gonna choose a way to respond to it. I'm gonna make some choices. So I couldn't choose that thing that happened to me that just happened, that's life, but I can choose how I go and answer that circumstance.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, that's fantastic. You know what? You were explaining that. I thought about someone that you and I know a little bit about and that's Jack Canfield, right? I remember <laughs> doing one of the trainings, he said a couple of things, you know, when you talk about asking and you said, look, just ask, man. If you remember correctly, one of the things Zach said, he says, look, in order to become successful, in order to get some of the things that you want, you have to do what Linda became and demonstrated. And that is an ask hole, right? <laughs> so it's really important to just keep asking. And then the second point, he said, look, even when it comes to asking those kinds of things, don't be all concerned about Failure and that sort of thing, because when it comes to achieving and you know gaining what you want in that experience, when it comes to you getting that, some people will give it to you and some won't. So he says, some will, some won't. So what, right? Continue to carry on. Yeah. So I think that's what I've learned, you know, throughout my failures for sure is to when I fail, carry on, right? Don't just stop, don't quit. So what about were there any unexpected opportunities that arose from that failure, leading to uh, positive outcomes that you might not have experienced otherwise because of the failure?
1: I can't think of any direct examples of that because, like I said, being a singer is about just going forward even when things don't work out. So if something doesn't work out, you just go to the next thing. So I can't think of any, like the activities don't connect exactly linearly, but they keep going. Let's take, for example, my work with my mentor on voice teaching and singing. I had just, I had been in Vienna and I had my first job teaching voice. So I began teaching voice very late in life compared to many people because I was singing. I wasn't interested in teaching. I wasn't interested in becoming a voice teacher. It was the furthest thing from my mind. I was working on my voice and auditioning. Then a colleague, a pianist, came to me. He was a music director that we had worked on some concerts together. And he invited me to teach at a conservatory. And at first I said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think I can do that. And then he persuaded me. And I went to teach at this small conservatory in Vienna. And I started teaching there. And I taught there for about three years, two and a half, three years. And I just realized that I wasn't going to go anywhere. So it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. We did shows. I was doing a lot of coaching. My students were performing all over Europe. It was just really a fantastic experience, but I felt like I was starting to get stuck. And that's when I took a break and I stepped back from that job because I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And I had a sort of a a long moment of just like, this isn't going to work out. And I felt like frustrated that my singing career, my performance career wasn't advancing as fast as I wanted to. And that this teaching career was kind of a dead end. And so I took off some time and I went to a conference in Graz, Austria, led by a noted vocal scientist, doctor and voice teacher there. And he told me about working with this guy in Hollywood. And I thought, that's crazy. I'm, an, I'm a classical singer. I don't want to go to, Hollywood. I don't want to do in Hollywood. And what am I going to do with a voice teacher? I mean, isn't he like a guy who works with like 13 year old pop singers? It's how's he going to help me and do anything with me? I thought it was the craziest idea. And then he referred me to one of his proteges. And what I did was I started working online and this is back in the days when online was pretty poor. We were on Skype and he was in Hollywood and I was in Vienna And I had a concert and I said, well, let me check this out. I'll start working with this guy and I'll have him help me prepare my voice for my next concert. And we worked for about six or eight weeks and I had a recording of myself singing before. Obviously I had several recordings and then the recording of the concert I did after working with him for six or eight weeks. And I noticed the remarkable difference. So that's when I made the decision to pack up my bags and move back to the United States so I could work full-time with my teacher in Hollywood and established a vocal studio in Boston with this approach to teaching. So it completely changed the trajectory of my life. And it came from a place of like, I don't know what I'm gonna do next. I'm feeling like I'm going nowhere. And then this opportunity just like you know fell in my lap. It's really changed my life. When I came to Boston, I was teaching. I was having a great time. And I got contacted by Berklee College of Music to do a one-day masterclass. I thought that was great. And I taught the masterclass. I had a great time and they called me up the next week and they said, Linda, we just had our faculty meeting and everybody's talking about you and your masterclass. And it was the subject of the entire meeting. Would you please come and teach here? And I said, eh, no, I don't, I don't think I want to teach there. <laughs> they were like, what? But I'd heard things I didn't like about the department there. So I didn't want to teach there, but they said, well, please, could you just come in and talk to us? So I did that. I went in and I talked to them and uh, ended up teaching there and I've been there. And that's how I wrote my book because when I was teaching at a college or at a conservatory, I thought it was a good time to be writing. So that's how I got there. And then I met Jack Danfield that you mentioned when he was visiting Boston and he told me about his work. And I was I didn't know his work very well. I knew about him, but I didn't know the details. And when I found out what his work was about, I said, oh, wow, it's like I'm writing this book on singing that is really similar to the way you approach things. Would you read my book and give me an endorsement? And he said, I'll do better than that. I'll write your forward. And that's how Jack and I got connected and he wrote the forward.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, so it was nice.
0: Oh, that's crazy unintended consequences of not getting things that we want sometimes. Beautiful story. And I identify with that primarily because I never wanted to be in the military. The army was not, I'm not, you know, never wanted to be in the military. I was never, ever from a military family. I thought I'd be a professional football player, but because of all the fair academically, as I've mentioned, I failed out of six colleges and universities. That's how I ended up in the military, right? The universe working its magic, man. But went on to get multiple degrees, a couple of masters, you know, Started working on my doctorate, became a full bird carnal. I used to brief ambassadors when I lived in Europe. I mean, just all and on and on and on, all of those kinds of things. So I want the folks out there in the listening audience to, to listen to the example that you just gave and the success that you had because you didn't give up. You carried on. You used that energy. And what was really interesting to me is when you had gotten to Boston, you said, nah, you no, know, I don't think I want to do that. And the people were like, huh? Well, of course you want to do this right? And for whatever the reasons that many worked out, you know, I have to talk with these folks and these kinds of things. But along your path, obviously, as someone who is you know, well qualified to teach others and you've taught many, surely you've had several folks who've actually failed. And when this has actually taken place, how did you actually help those students fail? And what type of support and encouragement did you provide for them?
1: Well, I try to prepare people for failure before it happens. I try to educate people that this is going to happen, right? You're going to be disappointed. This is the life. This is normal. It's not unexpected. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. And it doesn't mean you're not good enough. And it doesn't mean you can't do it. So I prepare people from that right from the early days of teaching them. And if I work with older people, so older than 30, say, for example, people that age seem to understand because they've already lived some life and they've already had a few disappointments along the way and they're starting to get it, right? So it's really easy to go that route with people who are already over 30, 40, 50, whatever. When you're dealing with like college age, they haven't encountered too many disappointments yet and they don't necessarily get that that's a normal thing. So they might go to an audition and not get it, or they might have a performance that's not successful where they made a lot of mistakes or something didn't go well with their singing or their voice, or they didn't get the audience that they wanted. We just always teach them that this is normal before you go. and That whatever happens, this is the journey you're on, and you are learning as you go. And every time you do something, you will learn, and you will go on to the next thing. And so if something doesn't work out the way you expected, it's okay, on to the next thing. Where can I go next? And what do I have to do to go next? This is a hard thing to get people to believe. I have a few examples of young people who did not succeed at an audition. They wanted to go to the school of their choice, for example. And they get very, very heartbroken, you know? And it's only been about in the 22 years I've been teaching, I think maybe two or three people that have gone through this and they just get so heartbroken that they can't really go forward with it. And sometimes I think that that's more about what's going on with them than the actual event itself. And so I encourage people to think that when you experience a disappointment, a failure, something doesn't work out the way you thought or you make a mistake and you screw something up, That's human. That's it. We all do that. That is life. And that can't stop you, right? It's a disappointment. You're allowed to feel bad about it, disappointed, but then you move on, you apply it. And the more you apply that experience to the next thing you do, the more you feel better and you don't take that hit so emotionally in a heartbroken kind of way. So I think the people that take it very hard and have a big heartbreak is because something's already going on with them before that event. They already lack the belief in themselves. In neuroscience, we call that self-efficacy. So self-efficacy means believing that you can do something, that you are capable of it. And when you have a limiting belief that's you may not even know you have it, right? You have it from childhood or whatever, and it's just in there in the back. That's telling you that you don't really believe you can do it. And that can be very persistent in the back of someone's mind. Like I said, sometimes you're not even aware that you have that limiting belief. Other times you know you have it, but you can't stop thinking that way. So if you have that as your basis, as your basic way of thinking about yourself and the world, It's very hard to go through failure or disappointment because it sort of reinforces, well, I thought I wasn't good enough anyways. And you have to really explore that and practice believing in what you want to do, what you're capable of. And that is a practice, right? You can't just sit home and say, okay, I believe in myself. It doesn't work that way, right? You have to practice it. And every time something comes up and you feel that come up again, oh, I, I knew I couldn't do it or... I know I'm not good enough, or that isn't going to work out for me, or I'm not capable of that. Every time that comes up, you have to just catch it and go, that's not really true. That's just something back in my brain that's a habit. And I have to just change that. And each time you catch it and practice saying, no, actually, I can do this. I believe that this is going to happen. You get better and better at it. So it is a muscle. You have to train it. Yeah.
0: Look, I am so fired up right now. <laughs> I am. Let me tell you, to take it to another level like this, this is incredible because you, I, I got chills here. I, I swear to you, it meant goosebumps, right? just all over me right now because you get it. You understand what all of this is about. This is, I mean, very eloquently, you've explained what I've tried to get people to literally understand from the standpoint of how to utilize your failures to propel you to become all that you were meant to be, right? To get from where you are to where you're supposed to be. And- I tell you, you know, it's interesting, it's a paradox sometimes, I think, when it comes to the failure piece, because in order to become successful, one has always got to fail, right? And it's in the failure that we learn out of our lessons. You talk to wealthy people, you talk to very accomplished folks, and they'll tell you that they've learned way more from their failures than they ever did from their successes. And the one word that jumped out to me is normalization right? You said you have to normalize this. And one of the things that the army does quite well is that it normalizes failure, right? It doesn't revel in that fact, but it knows that we're going to fail. So oftentimes they will put us in situations where we're not going to succeed. They just know that this is the way it's set up. So, and that's to demonstrate how frustrated we're going to be if we ever find ourselves in a situation such as that, or most cases, in my case, five times, that's in actual force on force combat, right? And you've got to kind of know, but because of my training and because the army made it okay to fail, then I was able to continue on with the missions because they normalized that. So during your particular training and instructions, did those mentors that you had, did they make it okay for you to fail? Or was it one of these situations where they just beat you across the head? A lot of leaders today, they don't make it okay to fail because it's unacceptable to fail. Well, that's craziness. Right? you're not going to always succeed, but you're going to always fail. So if you're not going to always succeed and it's okay, and you know that you're going to fail 100%, then we need to figure out how to make it okay to fail also, I think.
1: Yes. That's why I love your work and I love what you're doing because the people that can learn this from you will believe it more than listening to someone like me. And you can have such a huge impact in the community. And I say that because I'm female, so. There's a little bit of, you know, thing there, which I'm trying to change in the world, but that is a fact of life.
0: Yeah, it needs to be changed.
1: Yeah, and also because you've been a leader in the military, so that already speaks to your capabilities, right? Just knowing that about you will help someone believe what you say. And second of all, because you lived through it so much, failing at a degree process six times, I mean, that is so inspiring to young people today to hear and see what you've become yourself that I just... I'm so thrilled about your work and your being in communities and every community that you can reach and reaching out to people. I think you're going to change the world.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, look, man, this has been fantastic talking to you. I'm so humbled by everything that you just said a moment ago. It's really about you know, changing our mindsets to see failure as the greatest resource on the planet. And I try to do that through the books I've written, Failure's Not the Problem. It's the beginning of your success. One I just released here a couple of months ago, is Not the Problem. It's your leadership. You know, the clothing brands and these kinds of things, and also this podcast. I want those within the listening ear to really pay attention. And in order to be able to get from where we are to where we're meant to be, failure is absolutely a part of that experience. I mean, it's just an natural part of our lives. And we have got to get to the point to where we can take our children and set up a foundation, right, a base, so they don't think in terms of win, win, win only, because there is no such thing. And I know that as an athlete, you know, growing up that sort of way, Linda, and I'm sure that you can appreciate the musical field also, is that there are tons and tons and tons of failure. But along the way, somehow or another, you and I figured out that failure was not the end. Failure was really only the beginning if we responded in the right sort of way. So Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to give you last parting words before we end, but I'll let you have a statement here in terms of what you would really want the audience to know in terms of reaching out to you and how to contact you and also any other last words of wisdom.
1: Great. Yeah, it's great to hear what you've done. And I'm working on another book right now that's for voice teachers, so it's a pretty niche market, but I felt like I had to do it because I had to continue to explain everything that I put out in the book, Being a Singer, The Art, Craft, and Science. But I also wanted to refer your listeners to another thing that I participated in. This is called The Creative Life Book. And this is not my book, but I contributed chapter 44. And there's other artistic people who have contributed other chapters to that book. And the purpose of the book is how to live your life creatively, whether you're an artist or not, And my contribution was a model that I've developed for developing this approach to life that is from a positive side instead of a negative side, negative viewpoint, positive viewpoint. And the model is on the word brave. So it's B-R-A-V-E. And so B is believe, R is relax, A is awareness, V is visualize, have a vision, E is enjoy, enjoy the journey. And if you pick up this book on Amazon, it's very cheap, or any other thing online. It's not an expensive book at all. You will find that in Chapter 44, where I explain where each of these comes from. So this is based on neuroscience and positive psychology, because I'm studying that right now on the side, <laughs> uh, getting a master's at King's College in Applied Neuroscience, so I can understand how to communicate these things on a deeper level. And I hope that your listeners will check it out, because I think using that model will really help you to not recognize a failure as a negative thing. When you practice every day this approach to your mindset, when the failures come, you, you won't even have a blip. You'll just go, oh, yeah, that didn't work out the way I expected, and then you apply it to the next thing.
0: Wow, wow, look, I'm going to get a copy of that book. <laughs> that's for sure, right? Because that's, that's right up my alley. I love that. So Linda, thank you so much, man. Looking forward to watching you, partnering with you to do some really, really great stuff to change our planet. So I loved having you on today. I've learned quite a bit. I already knew a little bit about your background, but just some of the things that you said today in terms of how you use failure to be the person that you're going to be is just amazing and outstanding. So thank you so much. And for those out there in the listening world, remember, failure is not the end. It's only the beginning. If you respond in the right sorts of way, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me, George. Great to see you.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgeamilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.